Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Impressionable with me, Becky Lee. This week is a bit of an educational special. It is all about how we can stay safe online. You wouldn't believe how sophisticated scams are today, um, which I learned about during this episode. So yeah, it's really all about how you can protect your privacy, watching what you do online and how best to yeah stay safe and look out for scams and make sure that you're not scammed because that would be awful I wouldn't want that to happen to you at all so stick around hope you learn lots and I'll see you at the end bye Hi everyone, welcome back to Impressionable with me, Becky Lee. This week we have on the amazing Andrew. Hello everyone. How you doing? I'm doing well, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to recently? Lots. The world of cyber security, there's always, always something that's broken. When you fix it, it's just the next thing along. It's a moving <laughs> picture. Well, Security's that's never finished, a- that's what they say. Damn. Well, that is a bit of an indication about what today's episode is. You're on for a bit of a special for us um, because you're somewhat of an expert, no? Your words, definitely not mine. I try. (laughs) (laughs) So, Andrew's a friend of a podcast. Um, I won't say how I know him to keep things secretive and a bit more exciting. Um. But before I introduce what the podcast today is about, why don't you tell the listeners a bit about what you do and what they can expect to hear? Yeah, so um, I I primarily work advising companies, organisations on on cybersecurity. So that's usually from a sort of high-level systems point of view, um, but also down to user training in terms of fraud, um, data loss prevention in terms of um, intellectual property theft, which is quite big in the sort of corporate space. But I suppose today we're going to talk more about personal security and, and privacy and how that affects people that are listening, I suppose. Exactly. So obviously the premises of the podcast is about impressionable. And I'm really interested in the kind of trails that we leave online and how safe slash unsafe people are being on a daily basis. Because I have friends that work in similar sectors and you know, they told me that most people are very relaxed about their online privacy and that's actually pretty dangerous. So hopefully we can tackle some of that today. But before we begin, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone. And what's something that's made an impression on you recently? Um, I, I suppose to keep it in context to this, I have a think about this and I had a chat with some colleagues earlier. I think a thing that's had an impression on me recently in terms of online security privacy has been the whole situation with Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know if you've been following that at all. Um, but effectively, Meta, the parent company that owns Facebook and others, is is not doing financially very well. And since since last year, I think roughly over the last twelve months, he's lost half of his fortune. Effectively, his own personal fortune, um, dropping him outside the Forbes ten richest people, etc. So we were just chatting in terms of security and uh, social media and things. It's quite an interesting subject to see how that's going to go. You know, in terms of as the as the company, if it's not doing financially well, is that going to affect security of its users? You know, they're going to make cutbacks in those teams that look after user privacy, etc. So it should, it's just an interesting one to follow. So that's definitely definitely been a, a, a interesting topic of conversation. Oh, definitely. I mean, I feel like you can't talk about data and privacy without talking about Facebook and Meta and Zuckerberg. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. I was going to say 
that what's been making an impression on me recently has been um more cheating scandals and more sexual assault scandals so thank you for keeping us in contact um cool so um let's go into the main bulk of the podcast i did some research on cybersecurity and obviously some of the things surrounding it um, and basically the conclusion of my research was that phishing is growing online i have personal stories from friends and family that have you know attempted to be scammed at work have been tricked into being scammed at work you know who you are by the way if you ever get an email from someone asking you to buy amazon vouchers don't do that (laughs) um and you know internet theft is on internet theft is on the rise um and yeah you know people are losing 2.7 2.7 billion per year as a collective in kind of online scams. So I kind of wanted to ask you first, obviously these statistics are pretty compelling in themselves, but is it purely a financial reason that businesses are looking into trying to protect themselves online? Is it all about the money? It is all about the money. I think I think from an organisation point of view... Yeah, it's always, it's always, always about money. The um, whether it's you know it's sort of twofold really. It's it's the the company's money. You know if you put them at risk, they could lose uh, intellectual property. They could have downtime in their services. Uh, there's a cost implication there. So I think that's a big thing. But also, I think one of the key drivers is well when we were part of the the EU and we've got laws hanging over from that is the whole GDPR piece and the financial penalties that mm. go along with that. If you are found to be sort of exposing user data, there can be big financial penalties. So that's uh. That's a motivator and a driver for spending in in cybersecurity and and associated services because, yeah, you can get hit with a big fine, which isn't good. Speaking of Facebook, they had had one of the biggest fines for that in the US, 5 billion or something, 10 billion. Loads of money for um, for account uh, insecurities and sharing data they shouldn't have with third parties, etc. I mean, deservedly so. If people don't consent to their data being shared in that way, they should be fined, right? That isn't controversial to say. No, definitely not. I would say so anyway. <laughs> Good. Um, so obviously there's some con- concerning statistics there, but do you think that this is something that's become much more prevalent or do you feel like since the rise of the internet, there is always going to be sort of like a correlative rise in people trying to scam people or steal from people? Yeah, I think I think it's a couple of factors to it. I think, as you say, as more services have moved online, we've got a broad age range of users, people who haven't grown up with that technology as well so much, having to move move their activities online from what they'd normally do, you know, via the post office or, or manual means. But I also think in terms of the cyber criminals themselves, you know, the barrier to entry is has lowered. So, you know, years ago, you know, you would see sort of hacking groups and, and sort of cyber espionage and whatever sort of at the nation state level or hacking communities. Whereas now, you know, you've got criminal gangs. They, they, they're, they're quite the entrepreneur uh, set of entrepreneurs, you know, they, they do, they're, they're actually selling <laughs> the tools they use. So not only are they extorting people online, but they also are offering that as a service to other, other people and say, we can sell you the tools to do this and the guide how to do this for on the dark web and, so it's it's the barrier as Frenchies has just dropped further and further and further, and now it's just somebody who has an an interest in extorting someone can go online and purchase the tools to do that. So that's why I think we're seeing more and more of it as well. That's crazy. I didn't know it was. I mean, not that it's accessible, but as you said, more accessible than ever for people to learn how to become a con artist. 
Yeah, you don't want to sort of be alarmist, but yeah, it's definitely the case that the barrier to entry is a lot lower than it was previously. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's pretty scary. But listen, this is why you're here to keep us safe. Because um, I was thinking about like you know usually the 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 picture that's created of a victim of fraud tends to be, especially when it comes to online fraud, it tends to be like someone who's not computer literate, like someone who's a bit older. Um, you know, that that someone that you'd expect to be vulnerable when coming across scams online. But how sophisticated are they getting now? Like, do you think there are certain scams that could fool me? I definitely think so. I think I think with, you know, sort of spear phishing type activities, um, mm. if somebody's willing to put in the effort uh, to do the sort of information gathering phase around you and your interests and, and um, your social media presence and they're willing to sort of draw up a plan, I think, there's there's be a, quite a high success rate you know you get cases of people running in the london marathon they they see the photos of that and then immediately there'll be a phishing scam saying oh we were trackside uh, with a camera taking photos for the london marathon you know an email the chances of you just running the london marathon and then seeing an email like that you know you might be tempted oh yeah i'll just jump on that and click that link because it's have photos of me at the marathon and you know it's easily done i think um so for those who are listening that don't know what spear phishing is could you maybe explain like maybe the different type of ways or the different types of um kind of online scams how do they present themselves so so in context so spear phishing yeah first of all you got phishing which is more of like um sort of put it in simple terms it's more of like a shotgun approach they just send out generic sort of emails saying click this link for whatever mm. you know whatever scam it's just generic spear phishing is is that but a more it's more sophisticated and it's usually better researched more targeted than the individual so again they'll they'll look at the the individual social media linkedin etc try and build a a profile of of the the victim in this case and then tailor tailor their phishing attempt which is usually uh, we mentioned it earlier, some sort of buying gift cards or sending some money in some way or mm. a really common one throughout um, COVID that we were seeing is people being told, oh, you can get your COVID test sent to you, but you need to pay the shipping. So just enter your card details here. That was quite a common one that's going around for a long time. So yeah, it's much more targeted um, and some of them are very sophisticated and clever. Yeah, it's even the case where, um, you know, the links they use look very genuine they'll register similar domains that have similar wording or a hyphen in it um they'll go out of the way to purchase those domain names to, to sort of visually trick the user as well so the link itself can look quite legitimate who who has the time like who are the is it like genuine professional career criminals that do this or have they built like algorithms to do it on behalf of them because i guess in phishing campaigns they just get mass sent out and they just kind of hope for the best but are you saying there's like people that sit behind computers all day and like do their research? Pretty much, unfortunately, yeah. I think I think one of the key things uh, is attribution uh, is actually one of the hardest problems to solve in the cybersecurity space, whether it's cyber attacks, whether it's uh, phishing or you know extortion or any of those kind of things. Because it's online, um, attribution is usually very difficult. You know, groups abroad, I'm just thinking in the sort of cyber space, you know, often you hear about, oh, we think it's the Chinese or the Russians have, have, have caused an attack or some malware or something. But often there can be a double bluff element to that where it's made to look as though it's another nation or because attribution online is just very difficult just by the nature of mm. it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I remember seeing, like, once about how people were arguing that, you know, the wars in the future won't be fought on the battleground, they'll be fought online, and it's all about, like, if someone can hack someone else's system and how important it is for governments to have, like, extremely tight securities. Do you think that that's a, 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 a good observation? Like, do you think that's where those sort of warfare is heading? Hundred percent. I mean, in terms of in terms of defence, we used to talk about the three domains, you know, land, sea, and air. And now you hear a lot of talk about the fourth yeah. domain, which is cyber, which is you've seen as a big thing in the sort of defence space. So, I do think it's taken very, very seriously. Even if it's just at the level of sort of propaganda, disinformation, you know, you're seeing that at the moment with uh, with Ukraine and, and other places, uh, elections around the world. There's even at even at that level, it's 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 quite well publicised. But yeah, I think um, there's a there's a lot of interesting topics around the sort of uh, cyber weapons and and when to use them and 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 when it's appropriate. You know, you talk about um, industrial control systems and things and, and tax on the power grid and water water treatment, etc. Gets pretty scary, but there is that level of sophistication there. Uh, at the sort of the, the big big nation state players do have that capability. It's whether they would would use that or not. Yeah, of course. And then is it possible that someone could place the blame on someone else because they can just completely like wipe their tracks you know if they use a vpn that was like this is this was done from x country whereas like y country actually did it exactly exactly it com- comes back to the mm. whole attribution piece it's it's not just uh tracing the attack it's it's, it's tracing it's it's like a whole cat and mouse game where it's made to look to come, to come from somewhere else it looks like attribution simple oh it was from a, a computer in russia or a computer in china but actually it wasn't that was just a proxy device for the attack and and the attribution looks simple but it's actually much more complex and and without being in country to do that investigation of the country you're finger pointing at it's going to be difficult to do right what are some of the most sophisticated online scams that you've seen online so i don't Apart really... from the marathon one that one did that vexed me i was like oh my god i would definitely <laughs> click on that in terms of online scams and, and sort of dealing with internet sort of systems and, and users, it's not something I really get into in terms of uh, okay, in okay. terms of in terms of offering advice on to, to individuals at that level. In terms of you do see um there's been a big trend, I suppose, in the last five years of, of more um mm-hmm. ransomware. There we go. Came to me in the end. Um <laughs> Yeah, we've definitely seen an increase in, in ransomware type activities, which we which, which weren't seeing before. I don't know if you're familiar with, with how those work and and sort of... No, please explain. So a so ransomware attack. So, you know, usually in terms of phishing campaign, you're looking for somebody to send you money, some sort of social engineering type attack where you, you're convincing the person that there's some level of urgency that they need to do something, whether it's send them money or provide them some details mm. in order to secure their account. With with ransomware, it's it's effectively what happens is the the attacker gets control of your computer, and rather than try and make you do something to send them some money, they just encrypt all your documents and files, um, and then ask for a ransom effectively and say, if you want to if you want access to your files again, you need to pay this ransom, and and that's been very effective attack vector, I suppose, over the last while. Yeah. If someone finds themselves in that situation, what's the best thing they can do? It's, that's actually a, a, a sort of apropos question in that a lot of organisations now have taken the policy that they won't pay ransoms just flat out at an organisational level. You know, 
if we start paying ransoms, that just encourages further attacks, etc., etc. Oh, okay. And I personally would never encourage paying the ransom, but it depends how much you care about the documents, right? I suppose, <laughs> I suppose that comes back to a sort of further point about sort of um, sort of cyber hygiene and 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 best practice for sort of using using the internet and online, you know, taking a backup of important files, making sure they're stored in two locations, you know, either as part of like a, uh, an on, on, online backup like Google Drive, something like that, for your important documents that you really care about. Mm. I suppose just keeping a copy locally because then if you are hit by ransomware, you've only got one copy, then, yeah, unless you've got a significant amount of budget and and uh, some luck to go with it, you will never be able to encrypt those documents without paying the ransom, unfortunately. Damn, that's that's so interesting that you said the word cyber hygiene. I've never ever heard of that before. <laughs> but it's mad that like, do you really think that that's something that people should definitely take more account of and more aware of? Because they could find themselves in certain situations, and if they've taken care of their online presence a bit better, they're gonna surely be able to get out of a situation easier than someone that didn't care about their cyber hygiene. Yeah, I think I think it's it's definitely. Most people, you know, aren't really that interested. I think there's some, there's some basics that can be done, you know, around sex. Mm-hmm. All, all, every, it's, a, it's a trending industry that everybody wants the next sort of shiny set of tools or, you know, silver bullet that's going to solve all their security problems. But really, at a fundamental level, it's it's just the basics done well. So it's it's things like not having a common password for your, all your online services, um, making sure all your devices are up to date with security patches, Things like that, um, yeah. Uh, in terms of preparing for this, well, I, was, I sort of so I had a thought about what advice I could provide across. There's loads of organisations out there. There's a, there's a big one in the US called the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They've got a huge amount of guides around um, social media security because, in terms of social media privacy and security settings, they have a habit of just moving them all around and changing them at all times and what groups you need a security group for this now and used to be under security and now it's under a privacy tab to limit you know the reach of your posts etc so i definitely would recommend you know for those interested that that's a, that's a good place to go for a whole range of guides on on cyber security and it's not all just tech jargon and like for techie people it's, it's right down to sort of you can provide it to your aunt and say just follow this guide if you want to lock down your facebook or your instagram or whatever uh, and then in the U- in the UK, you know, we have some great organisations around uh, privacy and security. Um, two of the two of the ones that I'm familiar with is sort of Open Rights Group, and there's another one called Big Brother Watch. Um, they're they've got you know su- subscribe to their newsletter. You don't need to become an advocate for these groups and and really get involved, but they, you know they'll if there's a it's good for following. You know, if there's a a breach of a uh, of a social media company you know, they'll send out it'll be on their newsletter to say you know make sure you change your password to this or you're aware of a breach at this company just keeping yourself informed mm-hmm. um and a, and a massive one really uh, and again everybody always sort of goes on about passwords is, is password reuse so there's a, there's a website that i always recommend it's uh it's run by a guy that's in in uh on security Twitter is kind of a big deal, which means that like ten people know. Him. He's a guy called <laughs> he's a guy called Troy Hunt. I think he's Australian or, or maybe from New Zealand. That's always a danger. Um, but he runs a website called HaveIBeenPwned.com, and that's spelled mm-hmm. Have I Been and then P W N E D. And basically, it's, it's just the best site ever because what he does is he does all the legwork. He goes out there when there's a, when there's a breach of Dropbox or 
LinkedIn or whatever. He goes out there and he, and he goes out and gets those breach, that breach, breach set of information and he populates mm-hmm. that all centrally on his website. So you just put your email address in and then hit enter. And then it just says, oh, by the way, this email address was associated with this Pinterest leak back in August. You should consider changing your password. And if you use that password, reuse that password elsewhere, you should probably change it. And you can subscribe as well. You can say, go to his website, put your email address in. And, and if you're ever part of one of these online breaches, if any, if your email address is ever found in any of these breaches that are published online, you'll get an email to say, oh, yeah, you should consider changing it. But but password reuse is huge, huge, huge problem because in cybersecurity, the sort of your email address is the holy grail because I know loads of people, everybody does this. You forget your password, you just recover it back to your central email address, right? You just say, oh, I forgot mm-hmm. it, forgot my password. Yeah. Some people live their whole digital life like that, just forgot password, forgot password. But what you've got to realise is that now that's a central point. If all of your accounts are recoverable back to that one email address, you need to make sure that that email address account is secure, right? Because if that is compromised, mm. they can then go through and compromise all your accounts. Definitely. Two thoughts I'm thinking. First one, I think iOS or like at least Apple are pretty good at telling me if there's been a password that's been breached because sometimes if I input a password it'll come up and be like, this password has been breached. You should consider changing it. <laughs> and I see people talk online about it and being like, oh, everyone has my data anyway. Like, I'm not going to be bothered. But it has compelled me to change my password a few times. So I have seen that and I will be using that website to make sure that I check others. What is it? Have I been pawned? P-A-W-N-E-D. P-W-N-E-D. P-W-N-E-D. Uh, okay, okay. So I will be checking. The second thought um, was about two-factor authentication and how big that is becoming because now I can't really access many accounts without having my phone with me to like get a code that means that then I can log on. Ha- ha- do you think that that's changing the game? Like, Do you think passwords will become not important anymore and there'll be other metrics like don't people use like biometrics to log into things you know my face is like my password to many different accounts that i have on my phone how's it changing yeah i think i think the the sort of world of authentication is is an interesting one so you know every every type of authentication can be broadly summarized as it's either something you have something you know or something you are right so if you have, it's mm-hmm. like a token key, something you know is a password, something you are is some sort of biometric, like your face, fingerprint, etc. I think yeah. the something you know category is is inherently weak because it's the human factor. We have a we have a tendency not to pick random things. You know, if you ask most people to pick a random number, they choose seven. You know, between one and ten, they'll choose seven. You know, we're, we're quite poor at poor at randomness, or we think things are random when they're not. Um, so that's definitely going away. It's interesting you bring up two FA because that was one of the things I was going to come on to is that. Again, in terms of getting the basics right and just, just I hate to use buzzwords, but I'm going to use one. So we always talk about the, the low-hanging fruit. Are you familiar with this uh, this analogy? So, you know, you haven't got to be, you haven't got to be able to outrun the bear. You've just got to be faster than the other person that you're, you're running with from the bear. And and doing the basics, <laughs> doing the basics right just means that you're not seen as, as an easy, easy person to sort mm. of, to perform these activities against. So definitely, I think, multi-factor authentication um you know with google authenticator or similar one thing i would say on that and it, it really depends on on people's the th- you know it depends on you know if you're just a normal person it's probably fine but depending on your sort of 
the threat actors that are working against you in terms of trying to perform fraud against you or, or perform cyber attacks against you. SMS as a second factor is actually considered quite poor these days. Um, so there's been oh, cases okay. where, um, so for example, you log onto your account, it says, do you want to send a text message as a second factor? And they, they send that through. Um, there's been a number of cases where, again, with more sort of sophisticated attacks, people have been calling mobile phone, uh, mobile phone providers and saying, hi Vodafone, no, I'm Becky, I've lost my phone, um, but I've gone to your shop and I've got a, a new SIM, can you transfer that mobile number over to my new SIM? Then they'll ask the security questions, you know, the usual, and obviously if, if they're a sophisticated attacker, they'll be able to do that. They can effectively clone your SIM, and then obviously from that point on, they now have access to your second factor, so they'll they'll receive the second factor text message, and that's been used for for um, for attacks. So you're much better off. The preferred method is to use sort of one of the authenticator type apps because it's not vulnerable to to those kind of compromises. And how, when I'm considering using the apps, right? Is that something that I can use for every account that I have, or? Is there any certain social media profiles, places, or basically how how difficult is it for me to be able to look after my own two-factor authentication? It should, it should be fairly simple. I think, you know, it's probably somewhere, again, point you to sort of EFF or, or, or other guides around mm. this for social media, but all of the, all of the big platforms, Google, Facebook, uh, and associated companies... All, all offer 2FA, multi-factor mm. authentication. Uh, it'll be somewhere in the security settings. Again, I don't like to provide advice directly on that because the problem is it's always changing <laughs> where that is. They have a habit of moving yeah. it around. But then then usually it's just a case. You go to the authenticator app on your phone, you scan a QR code, and now you've got it's, it's enrolled as an authenticator, a second factor. Um, if people don't want to go to the habit, aren't interested in sort of that level of overhead, what I would say is secure that, core email account we all have one you know the email account mm. we use as our recovery point for all our other accounts definitely have two-factor authentication on that as a starting point in sort of your cybersecurity journey because at least then uh it's not a single single attack surface for all of your accounts that's the problem that's where it becomes yeah, a problem 100%. because i definitely think that people have the the tendency to have the same password across a few accounts and if you like unlock one and then another one has the same password and then another one has the same password you're kind of like a lot scammers having a happy day you know happy 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 me i've not just got one account i've got five now exactly and they can leverage mm, that definitely they can leverage that to 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 get more information again it's just it's just because it just spirals then they've got access to your email so then when you then when that's used as oh we've sent you an email to validate your identity or oh, we've also got control of your email address it's not it's not it's not useful you know once they're in um, so yeah hundred yeah. percent and is there like a recipe for a scam like is there something that you can look out for so that like the alarm bells can start going off and thinking this is this is when it starts to get dodgy like for example asking you to purchase something asking you to click on a link what are some of the things that you see quite often. So you, it really depends on the level of sophistication, but, but some things to look out for, so it used to be quite common, you'll see spelling and grammatical errors in, in the communication. Mm. That should always be a big red flag. If, um, if, there's, if there's spelling and grammatical errors or, or anything you know, that doesn't seem right in terms of, in terms of the, the text of the message, 
but then you've got things like um just just really if it's if it's unsolicited if it's unsolicited communications you know if you're receiving anything that's out of the blue that you're not expecting and then usually that a common sort of recipe for you to use your words is that there's always a sense of urgency involved in that as well that's that's mm. why they don't want you to you know if you they don't want you to allow time to process it so it's always like unsolicited and oh by the way somebody's got access to your account right now you need to act right now and do this that that should sort of set the alarm bells going um and and being pressured to make a decision on that communication so whether it's a call whether it's an email you know we need a reply now um the advice the general advice I always give is is to to contact them through separate secure means that you've you've pre-validated that it, so for example you know if you've contacted uh a company before use that known contact that known contact to say oh that's fine i've not had contact from this email address before this seems unfamiliar but i'll just check with this person that i know on their number that i've used before yeah that's always just and 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 then further to that if they then press you at that point to say oh no don't worry about this it's too urgent you can't do that that's when you know that there's well too much urgency here i can easily just make another phone call or send an email to somebody i know that's when you should just yeah hang up or just ignore the ignore emails i think generally people should be especially cautious of like links and attachment on on uh on documents from mm. people they don't know and how safe is it for you to engage with a scammer because i think everyone loves uh internet video where like the person tries to troll the scammer or they email back or they message back or they phone call back and you know they try and wind the scammer up but is that dangerous in itself to try and like play a little game with them i'd say so i think I think although the temptation's there, I'd say it's best avoided because if anything, you're just giving them potentially further information, either inadvertently or you're only potentially just providing them more information about you, where you are. I can see the temptation. It is fun. I think uh, I know a few people. <laughs> have you ever done it before? Calls, I have, yes. Uh, I forgot, I've, I've done can it you the tell past. the story? Oh, it's just, you know, you always get the, the security questions and you just provide very difficult to spell words and then they ask you, oh, so what's your password? <laughs> and you start reading off this super long password. So capital H, lowercase b, uppercase, 157. <laughs> and then and then they're like, no, that's not working. You, get, you want me to read it to you again? And then you sort of cover the microphone, mumble part of it. It's always good fun. But it's best avoided, to be honest. <laughs> Although it probably give you great... You know, great pleasure to do it. Fair enough. And obviously, I kind of wanted to circle back a little bit to this um, this kind of online hygiene. Apart from getting scammed, are there any other like general internet bad practices? Because, for example, I have a friend and she told me never post a picture um, in your house where you can see a view because the software that can track exactly where you live if you post that view or... um. There was a really tragic story about a rapper who was killed last month because his girlfriend posted their location on Instagram, on an Instagram story. They were out having dinner and posted a, a story and then um, they got they got attacked and he ended up um, really sadly passing away. But that was like a real bad internet faux pas. So people say, if you're going to post a story that you're out somewhere, always do it once you've left the place what what's your take on those sorts of things i i think i think 
sort of again to use buzzwords uh, we've already done a few today so we'll do some more you know we, we, in in cybersecurity we talk about threat actors so who are your threat actors you know are you a celebrity do you have you know do you have a stalker do you have a crazy ex or whatever you know what mm-hmm. is your who are your threat actors who's who's looking to to provide a threat to you and that can be you know a very huge amount and then also we talk about this thing called risk appetite <laughs> so that's effectively you know as it sounds, you know, how much risk are you willing to say, you know, do you need to use social media for your online business? You, you know, it's not as simple as, oh, mm. just disconnect completely from social media. So you, then you then you get into that, that situation where you say around risk appetite, okay, you need to post that you're going out because that's part of your, you know, you're a social media person or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when you say, actually, I still need to do this, but I'll do it after I've left, you know. So it's, it's about... It's about those two things. Who are your threat actors and, and sort of what's your appetite to risk and, and the need to sort of use those platforms? Yeah, I think I think um, one of the interesting ones around sort of photos um, and things like that is generally when you upload a, a photo, photo to social media, a lot of the metadata and the EXIF data get taken away from that image. And, and just to explain what that is, is when you take a photo on your phone right now, um, a load of information gets saved along with that photo as part of the image file. So if you airdrop that to someone or email someone a photo, that image data is preserved. So again, something to bear in mind, if somebody says, oh, airdrop me those photos or email me those photos, as part of that image file, is location data actually in the image file saved as part of the image? That's why, you know, when you go to your photo albums and you can search like, I don't know, um, Mm. Athens, and it will show you all your photos Mm. when you're in Athens. That's because Mm. as part of the, the photo data is that location information. So that's something mm-hmm. to bear in mind. Simply just sending someone a photo via email or airdrop, they would know when that photo was taken, the exact location. The social media sites don't do that. They they strip that information away and, and you can they usually provide good privacy options for you to select whether you want to share the location for that image or, or not. I think, yeah, like you say, in terms of... There's a, there's a whole thing around around that whole metadata piece. So it, that, that's a, a sort of terminology that's used. Is it's, it's not just the data itself. So it's not just the photo. It's the time the photo is taken oh you're always on the train to work at that time um you always post at this time in the evening so we assume you're at home at that time there's there's information that can be gleaned outside the information that's mm. just presented uh, and you should think about mm. that with whatever you're posting you know it, it, things like time of day location etc can all can all give people indication of whether you're at home or where you are at any point again we're not trying to be alarmist. It just depends on, on, on what your sort of threats are and, 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 and the level of privacy you want to have in your life. Yeah, I think as long as people are making informed decisions, like as much information that you can give someone to make a decision is probably the best thing because I wouldn't even, like, I just think, like, do you think there's enough information? Like, are we, because we were kind of brought up, you're a bit older than Darcy and I. I know that Darcy's listening. You're a bit older than us, so I don't know what your education was like surrounding privacy, security online, etc. Because when I was growing up, the very basic was like, pick a strong password and you should be fine. But now I wonder how much kids in school are getting told today about how their image has a location saved behind it or you know when they post this what does this mean and when they post this what does this mean and do you think do or do you know is the education up to scratch yeah i think i think i think it is to be honest i think young people are, are we probably don't give them enough credit because because they've grown up with it their entire lives they are again speaking broadly i think they're more aware than the older generation for example in terms of mm. of uh 
education from teaching staff and things like that as well. I think that's definitely, it wasn't even discussed, I suppose, when I was at school or even when you were at school, anything around that. There wasn't any sort of awareness or anything on that. Whereas now it, is, it does form part of, of uh, safeguarding and things like that at schools. So it probably plays a huge factor from, I don't have huge uh, exposure to it in terms of the education sector, but I know that there is a lot of safeguarding stuff that happens around uh, social media, bullying, etc. And that is a, a topic yeah. that's discussed, discussed a lot. Yeah, definitely. What do you think um, about the role of deep fakes? Um, and do you feel like people are being too alarmist about them as an online security risk? It's, a, it's an interesting one. I think I think some of the deep fakes that you see are, are, are very sophisticated and very convincing. I think... I think because people are, it's it's in the consciousness that deep fakes are are a thing mm. that I don't think you would get sort of. I'm just trying to think of some of the deep fakes I've seen, but like you know, there's been some been some convincing like Obama deep fakes back when they were first coming out. I don't think you would get a foreign nation react to them because they would seek to validate the, the yeah authenticity of that footage. I think it might be good for a sort of. A, for a party trick or you know comedy but i think in terms of causing a causing a nation level disaster hopefully not hopefully people would look to sort of validate that information but i think i think it's it's definitely an interesting one definitely interesting one good well i like to leave on a positive note anyway and i think you definitely helped me make some more informed choices about the stuff that i'm putting online and i'm gonna go and change all my passwords now for sure um but on a more general note the question that I ask everyone at the end of the episode is what impression do you want to leave on the world? So yeah, I just want to leave you with that question. And it doesn't have to be cybersecurity related. It can be anything that you like. Well, keep, well, keep it on theme. Keep it on theme. It's sort of a more, we'll go to the sort of philosophical level on, on this stuff is that is, um, it's, it's a phrase we use quite often is uh, if, if you're not paying for a product, uh, you are the product. So, if if you're using free email, free social media, just bear in mind that that has to be monetized and the way that's monetized is through selling of your information. I think that's what I'd say to people and, and really think about it. I'm part of the delete Facebook movement. If you can delete Facebook and, and the meta set of, of apps, you know, Instagram, move to an alternative. So are they the main culprit? Are they the baddies? I'd say so. I think I think you can look over it all the way from back from sort of Cambridge Analytica. Even you know people say, oh, if it's just used to sell me shampoo, does it really matter? You know, I mean, there's that attitude to privacy. Mm. If you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about. Those kind of attitudes. Mm. That was fine mm. until the you know it's a while ago now. I think it's 2018. Uh, no, it's 26. The, the U.S. election with uh, Cambridge yeah. Analytica. There's a whole set of documentaries on that. The Great Hack, but Facebook wish. The reason people are so anti-Facebook is they've shown you know, they've been fined at the governmental level in the US for misusing user data for elections. You know, we're not talking about selling you shampoo or, you know, whatever. It can yeah, be yeah. really serious, the impact these, these companies have. So I'll keep it cheerful, actually. We'll leave it at that. But um, I'd say delete Facebook. If you can't delete it, remove it from your phone. Limit use of, limit use of sort of the meta apps and uh, stay safe online. Perfect. Well, you've left a great impression on all of us on how to stay safe online. Um, so thank you so much, Andy. Is there any um, are there any like causes or anything that you want to plug besides the super helpful guidebooks? Anything else that you want to draw people's attention to before we have to sign off? Um, 
yeah, check out EFF, check out Big Brother Watch, check out Open Rights Group, get involved in, in the conversation around digital privacy and law because without without sort of attention to it, these rights just get eroded. We all need to keep ourselves educated. 100% because I think people are definitely becoming more and more apathetic because you've just kind of been like, oh, your data's been sold. Oh, your data's been sold here. Or, oh, accept this cookie, accept this cookie, accept this cookie. And I think people are just like almost have a fatigue around it. And they're like, oh, who, like everyone has my data now. Like who cares if someone else has it, you know? Exactly. We all become a bit sort of apathetic to it all. So we need we to need fight to... the cookies. Shall I reject all cookies next time? <laughs> yeah, the small part, reject cookies. I think, I think <laughs> yeah. honestly, though, it, it's, it's that education piece around, you know, where are we going with digital rights? How do we ensure that, you know, legislations were involved in that discussion, you know, look for that in manifestos around online privacy digital rights and um i think that all that's the best we can do right thank you so much for listening to another episode of impressionable with me becky lee this was co-produced by darcy bevins and if you like this episode please tell other people about it because word of mouth is the best thing that you can do Um, and don't forget to rate us if you haven't already five stars would be grand and also apologies for any audio issues sometimes i'm just hyper conscious of these things but if you didn't have any issues then that's great and if you did i apologize Thank you so much and please come back next week. Bye.